So my, my wife and my son play this online game called Wordle. Any Wordle fans, players out there? I don't play Wordle because I have enough irritating things in my life. I don't need to add any extra. Every once in a while, however, they'll be playing the Wordle of the day. It's a daily thing. And my son will solve the word before my wife solves the word, and then he'll tell her what the word is. Hell hath no fury. Like a mom who has been told the wordle of the day. We create uh, all these ways to strengthen and expand our mind. Games and apps and toys and programs designed to help adults and children um, grow in knowledge and understanding. The Bible itself has a lot to say about the life of the mind. In the book of Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is writing, this passage will serve kind of as our foundational verse for the next few weeks. It's the passage many of us know, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, therefore I urge you, verses 1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the English language, we often use the words brain and mind interchangeably. And while I suppose it's okay to do that, they are actually two different things, though they're interconnected and rely on one another. The brain, obviously, is that organ, that big gray mass inside your skull. The mind, however, is the energy that is generated by thinking and feeling and choosing. I suppose we could say that the mind is our aliveness. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to consider the mind. We're going to consider this aliveness from the worldview of Christianity. And this weekend, I want to begin with wisdom. I believe that the development and transformation of our mind is a spiritual practice, one that can lead to wisdom. I was with my wife uh, a couple days ago. We were somewhere, and we once again observed the reprehensible behavior of humanity, which we're all capable of. And it was just one of those things that I noticed someone doing and saying and just got really frustrated. And in my frustrated moment, I said something that probably wasn't very nice, but I just looked at my wife, and I just said, Rebecca, as a species, like, are we getting dumber that's just how I felt in the moment. It doesn't, don't be offended. That's just how I felt. You ever feel that way? Because like, there's a lot of smart people in our world. But what about wise people? What about wisdom? I have this personification of what I think wisdom looks like in my head. I get it probably from the movies. You probably do too. Like If you think back to cinema, there are lots of people who are percented as wise, like you think of Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, or Dumbledore, or Yoda, 
Mr. Miyagi, or if you're a Marvel fan, Nick Fury. The scriptures, however, reveal a simple yet deeper form of wisdom that is relevant for all of our life as we navigate the Christian faith. And so here's where we're going to go for the next couple of minutes. First, and take a look at what Jesus has to say about wisdom. Then we're going to move into the Old Testament and meet a man named Solomon, who's the king of Israel, and was granted a wish by God, anything he wanted. And then we're going to wrap this up by going back to the New Testament and hearing from James, who is the brother of Jesus. And he shows us what wisdom looks like for people of faith and how we actually get it. So I want to begin with Jesus Jesus gives a story, a parable that many of us know. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now obviously, Jesus is not talking about construction. He's not talking about building an actual house. The reference to the house is a metaphor for our life, and all of us are building our life on a foundation, on on something. And while I don't personally or particularly like to reduce people to labels, the Bible sometimes likes to make things simple for us and tends to categorize people in one of three, one of three categories. The wise, the foolish, and the evil. Now, I think we can, because we're all human beings, vacillate between the three. Some days I'm wise, some days I'm foolish, and other days, well, some of the thoughts that go through my head, I suppose, could be in the evil category. But the Bible (coughs) describes living with wisdom, pursuing wisdom, as a central part of our faith. Now, let us not confuse wisdom with intelligence or academics because you can be really, really smart. You can have an incredibly high IQ and still be a fool. And at the same time, you can have very little formal education, never had been to college, and still be really, really wise. See, here's Jesus' definition of wisdom. The Bible makes it really easy for us. Hear these words of mine and put them into practice. I like to watch people. It's one of my many hobbies. Best places to watch people, best three places, the mall, the airport, and the state fair. Like, that's the top three. You want to see all of humanity in vibrant glory, go to, go to those, one of those three places. Go to all three. You, you'll never be bored. As I kind of watch people, maybe myself, but it's, it seems to be as though there's a lot of emotional reaction that has replaced thoughtful, God-honoring responses. T.S. Eliot, the 
famous poet once wrote, when there is so much to be known, when there are so many fields of knowledge in which the same words are used with different meanings, when everyone knows a little about a great many things, it becomes increasingly difficult for anyone to know whether he knows what he's talking about or not. When we do not know or when we do not know enough, we tend to substitute emotions for thoughts. And when we substitute emotions for thoughtfulness, we're using sand as our foundation. When I choose to scream at another person rather than talk through the differences of opinions that I have, I'm building my house on the sand. When I'm more concerned about that which I'm against, what I fear or what I'm angry about rather than what Jesus is for, I'm building my house on the sand. When I make life-altering decisions impulsively, I'm building my house on the sand. When I use my words to shame or talk down to others, to call names, or express my opinion without filters or empathy, I'm building my house on the sand, remembering it's possible to be right and still be a fool. When I am so convinced that I am right, and when I will not listen to any other way of thinking, even if I disagree, I'm building my house on the sand. I don't believe we need any more information in our world. What we need are people who are wise, who can hear the words of Jesus and put those words into practice. Even the hard words like love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, something that does not come very naturally to me. But the wise, they understand that. The wise know how to keep their word. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no me no. Anything other than that comes from the evil one. Jesus said, the wise, they they know when to turn their cheek and walk away. The wise are generous and merciful. The wise are not judgmental. Matter of fact, Jesus modeled this for us. When you're in the midst of the most vile of sinners, invite them to dinner because that's, what he did. When I do those things, I'm building my house on the rock. So now let's go back a few thousand years before Jesus to a man named Solomon. Solomon was granted a wish, almost like uh, finding a genie in a lamp. I heard this story recently. Three men were stranded on a desert island. They were shipwrecked. And they were on this island for a few days and kind of scraggly and tired and rough. And as they were walking along the beach one day, they tripped over something. One of the men did. And they reached down and picked up the item and discovered it was a lamp. And they brushed the sand off of it and a genie came out. It's a true story. And the genie looked at them and said, well, there's three of you. And because there's three of you, I'm going to grant each one of you one wish. And so the first man looked at the genie and said, well, that's easy. I hate being on this island. This is crazy. I wish I was back at my corporate office in New York City. Poof, he was gone. The second man looked at the genie and said, yeah, it's crazy. I want to be home in Cleveland with my wife and my kids and my dogs. And I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be home. And poof, he was gone. Third guy looked at the genie and said, wow, 
well, this is easy. I'm here on this island all alone. I hate being alone. I wish my friends were back here with me. And poof. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. It's funnier than you're laughing. All right, back to the Bible before this gets worse. First Kings chapter three, King Solomon is the son of David. He has become the leader of Israel. <clears throat> One night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to my servant, to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you and you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son, a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I am like a little child who does not know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me understanding. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern the people well and know the difference between right and wrong for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom and governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands, as your father David did, I will give you a long life. I'm trying to imagine God, the God of all eternity, the God of impossibilities, says to me, Mike, you've been a good servant. Ask me for one thing and I'll give you whatever you want. I'd like to say I would ask for wisdom, but probably not. But Solomon, he says, God, what I really desire, what I really want is wisdom. And as the story goes, God grants him wisdom from that place. We get the book of Proverbs, most of which were written by King Solomon. And the very first proverb begins this way from King Solomon. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That word fear is a reference to profound respect. It's a reference to a holy kind of terror, not a, not like terror if you were getting chased by a rabid dog, a different kind of, of terror when you see something awe-inspiring that it almost induces fear, a respect. But it's also a respect that impacts the way that I live my life. And so essentially Solomon and Jesus are starting from the same place as they describe wisdom. Wisdom begins with a profound respect for who God is, but also the hearing of his words and putting them into practice. See, Jesus and Solomon are coming from the same place. But Solomon, Solomon goes into much more detail in the book of Proverbs. And as you read through Proverbs, what you find there are several core themes that emerge, very simple but very essential core themes when it comes to wisdom. And the first is Solomon says, the wise will always seek understanding. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. While the wise do have strong convictions, 
and opinions, the wise can find understanding and even empathy with those they deeply disagree with. In the book, The Wisdom Pattern, the author writes, private feelings are our form of truth today. A kind of ultimate self-absorption, understandably because there are no universal patterns, yet in expressing private feelings, people really think they've done something great. We see this on talk shows. We realize that many of those types of people have never read, never studied, never prayed, never listened to anybody except their own tyrannical feelings, yet they think they have the right to air their uninformed opinions. The wise seek understanding. And those that seek understanding listen generously. I mean, Jesus really listened. If you look at the Gospels, Jesus listened to people. And so do I listen or do I simply formulate my own thoughts and write everyone else off? Do I really listen to others or am I simply forming my rebuttal while they're talking? Have I ever considered objectively a position other than my own? See, if I can't listen, why should anyone ever listen to me? Jesus gave people the opportunity to grow. You might even call this a growth mindset. Carol Dweck, who's a Christian and a psychologist, said there are two mindsets we can navigate life with, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Those that have a fixed mindset believe, well, nothing ever changes. People don't change. You are who you are. This is just who I am. I'm never going to be different, so just accept it, and that's just all it is. Those with a growth mindset believe anybody can change, that you can cultivate and grow. There are limitless possibilities. And so ironically, when Solomon asked for wisdom, he was asking God, help me grow. Christianity offers people a chance to be transformed. Do you realize the Christian word repent implies growth? It implies change. It implies transformation. In the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when the apostle Paul writes, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's a challenge to grow and to stretch ourselves. Maybe even get uncomfortable. I have a bucket list. Any of you have a bucket list? You know what a bucket list is? All the things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And many of the things on my list are kind of growth opportunities. Not all of them, but most of them. Like the first one, I've, I've checked a few off. The first one is, is I always wanted to see Dave Matthews in concert, so I did it, checked that off. That wasn't, wasn't really a growth thing, just something I wanted to do. Uh, so I did that, which was didn't disappoint. I also, on my bucket list for years, I always wanted to go to Africa. It just was a dream of mine to go to Africa. I finally went. Matter of fact, I've gone three times, and it was just a crazy experience. I also wanted to go to India. It was on my bucket list. Finally checked that off. I've been actually seven times. And all these trips have like expanded my mind, caused me to see the world differently. I see God differently. I, I see people differently. And it's given me a growth mindset. Now, I have... A, Two items left on my bucket list that I've not checked off. The first one is I want to hike Machu Picchu in Peru. And the second one on my bucket list that's been there forever is, I, is like I always wanted to go back to school and get my doctorate. It's just bucket list. Now, what you've got to understand about that item is that I barely graduated from high school. I, I'm serious. I, I hated high school. Um, <clears throat> 
My dad had very strong opinions about my future based on my grades, which I won't share. Uh, but I just, I just didn't do well. And when I wanted to go into ministry, I knew I had to go to college. So the college that I went to accepted me on academic probation. I had to take a class called study skills in order to, uh, go on to the next semester. And, um, it didn't work real well because I got a bunch of C's and a D in my first year of college. And there was kind of this narrative in my head that I'm, I'm not smart. That's what I told myself. And, and so I just tried to get through college and I did my best and I, I did okay. I graduated and I did okay. A few years later, I decided, you know what? I, I kind of want to get my master's degree, but my grades aren't great. And somehow, through some kind of technicality, I got into graduate school probably because I needed the money. And so I, I got in and I had one goal in graduate school other than to learn was I said, I just want to get a GPA high enough that should I ever want to go back to school, I, at least I'm on the line. And so I did, I, I, I managed it by half a point, barely. I mean, I just barely got there. I mean, I skirted through. And then for 15 years, I kind of had these false starts and stops. Like, maybe I'll go back. Maybe I'll look. Maybe I'll apply. Maybe someday. Maybe when the kids are older. Maybe. But there's this fixed mindset narrative in my head that kept saying to me, you're not smart. You're not a good writer. You'll never do it. It's, it's a pipe dream. Well, we all have that voice, don't we? And that voice keeps us in a fixed mindset. It doesn't open us up, uh, ourselves up to the possibility that we can grow. Take academics out of it, anything in life. Starting a business, whatever. I, sometimes we get stuck and think we can't do it. And sometimes we need to, in wisdom, squash the voice in our head and stretch ourselves because the gospel invites us to stretch ourselves. So after 15 years of false starts and stops, last week I finished my first year in a doctoral program at a school in Oregon. I, thank you. I'll take it. And if you'll just allow me to humor myself just a little more, and this is not a humble brag, this is a brag brag. Um, <laughs> my semester project was a 40-page paper I had to turn in, 40 pages of writing, which is a lot. That's not even the dissertation. That's just one of the semester projects. And I just got it back, and I got a 96, which is good. From a kid who barely graduated from high school. So whatever it is that's holding you back, I, 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 I tell you that. Because we are designed to grow and to stretch and reach beyond our possibilities. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Challenge yourself to grow in his image and in his likeness. Secondly, the wise, Solomon says, are those who constantly pursue guidance. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Wisdom forms when we invite others to speak into our life. The, the fool is so convinced of their own rightness that they think they're the smartest one in the room and no one else can give them advice. But the wise apply guidance. I can't tell you how many times I have saved myself because before I fired off an email, I said to someone, will you just read this before I send it? 
They said, oh, you probably shouldn't say it like that. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in an elder meeting, and we've got great elders at Northbrook, and they've said, yeah, I might want to think that through a little more. The wise not only hear guidance, but apply it. You ever have someone in your life that they keep coming to you for guidance, and you give it to them, and then they keep doing the same thing, and they keep coming back to you, and you keep saying the same thing, and they never listen to you, but they just keep coming back to you over and over? Isn't it frustrating? The wise, if you uh, apply that guidance to your life, and finally Solomon says this, the wise are discerning rather than reckless. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, a discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eye wanders to the ends of the earth. Discernment in Christian practice is simply recognizing and responding to the presence of God in the midst of everyday life. It's really learning to see God at work in the world and involving him in our life and our decisions and our plans. A discerning person is someone who really believes that the Holy Spirit does want to guide us and lead us and illuminate a path before us. So, See, a discerning person believes that love is our primary calling as followers of Christ. A discerning person lives with a deep-seated belief that in the midst of all of life that God really does have good intentions towards us. When, when, I, when, I, when I live with discernment, I'm actually praying for indifference because I want to be indifferent to anything but the will of God for my life, even if it's not what I would necessarily choose. It's, it's trusting. See, the book of Proverbs then gives us a very vivid picture of someone who is foolish and not discerning. It's a beautiful picture. It's just this amazing word image. I want you to have this image in your head because it is just so life-giving. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. I love dogs. I do. I, I am. I'm not just, I'm a dog lover. I have two of them. Dogs can be nasty. And sometimes I just walk out and I'm like, what are you doing? That came out for a reason. Don't put it back. I just wonder if this is God's way of saying, I'm sitting up here watching. Why do you keep going back to that same thing over? Why do you keep returning? You know what happens when you do that. The same thing happens over and over and over. See, the wise are discerning rather than reckless and learn from the mistakes and the folly. And so now I want to wrap this up by turning to James, the brother of Jesus, and answer two simple questions. The first is, how do I get wisdom? And second, what does it look like? And James answers both of them very clearly. First, James says, if you lack wisdom, like this is profound, like just write it down, right? If you, if you, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. That's it. That's his, all, of his, all his advice. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God. I mean, if we ever opened ourselves up to the possibility that maybe that's actually true, if we open ourselves up to the possibility that maybe God does want to fill us with his wisdom, and 
All we have to do is open ourselves up to him and ask for it. And then James gives us a very clear picture of what it looks like in life. Moving to chapter 3, he writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow peace, who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. And I, I really do wish that that James, I mean, this is Jesus' brother. You think it'd be, I wish he would just give me like three simple steps. Like I'm a very logical person. If you do this, this, and this, this should result. And I wish that that was the case, but that's not what we get. We get nudged in a direction. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. And this is what it looks like when you have it. This is how you show up by your life. Because I display wisdom in what I do much more than what I say. And the wisdom that, that the scripture talks about it is pure. It's, it's genuine. It's not self-serving, but it's, it's peace-loving. Back to the book of Solomon, Proverbs describes wisdom as a woman, and he says, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Those that are wise seek peace, and they're considerate and open. Those that are wise are submissive, willing to defer, at least when it doesn't involve a strong conviction against sin. And those that are wise are full of mercy, loving and empathetic, towards others, which seems to be dying. I read an article in the journal Sentinel, and this is from the beginning of April, April 3rd. And the cover article is entitled, Why Does Empathy Seem to Be Fading? It's the glue that holds society together. And I just want to read just this two paragraphs in this article. It's a story that, that it's starts out with, and this in many ways defines where we find ourselves in the 21st century, and I think it grieves the heart of God regardless of what you believe about culture. After a long day, their bodies heavy with grief, Jody McIntyre and her family dragged themselves into a restaurant in Bradenton, Florida for a 10.30 p.m. dinner. McIntyre, who lives in Madison, had gone to Florida to attend the memorial service for her big brother, John, a local pastor who died on September 2nd from COVID. My brother's ashes were in the trunk. That's how raw it was, McIntyre recalled. As the server led the family to their seats, a young man at a nearby table noted they were wearing masks and muttered, expletive Democrats. McIntyre turned to face him and said, do you know why we're here? I'm here because my brother died of COVID. We're having his funeral. And the man replied, I don't expletive care. Why? Oh, we could say, no, that's horrible. That's terrible. This is not like an isolated incident. And take the politics out of it. Put any issue of the day in. The server gets your order wrong at McDonald's. Do we, do we truly understand, I mean, deep in our soul, that Christianity is one of the only worldviews that calls us, that actually demands us to value others more than we value ourselves? 
And if you disagree with that statement, I invite you to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It's really clear. Wisdom is full of mercy. It's impartial. It's simple and straightforward. It's not passive-aggressive. It doesn't create division. Wisdom is sincere. It's stable. It's trustworthy. It's transparent. The wise value the art of thinking things through, not just the decision of itself, but what goes into decisions and the conscious reflection of all the consequences that follow. So as I'm living a life, trying to live a life that honors God, as I make decisions, as I interact with people, as I interact online, maybe there's some questions to consider about my own responses and actions. These questions are in your notes if you've got them. The first question is, is this wise? But what I'm about to do, say, think, is it wise? Is it loving? Is it necessary? Is it even true? Is it going to cause regret? Is it going to make a positive difference for the kingdom of God? See, we, we choose. We have the opportunity to choose. I mean, Jesus said, you have a choice. Build your house on the rock or the sand. It's a choice. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, said, fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, but you have the choice. And James says, listen, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. You have a choice. And so my my prayer, our next steps, is maybe this week we need to pray that God would make us wise. We've got plenty of smart people in the world. What we need are some really wise people. Maybe some of us need to pray that God would change our mindset. Maybe you're stuck in a fixed mindset and you just can't seem to push past it and it's made you cynical. For those of us, maybe we need to work through these questions and maybe memorize them and keep ourselves out of trouble. My prayer for us all is that we would ask God and that we would become a group of people who live with wisdom, not just intelligence. And so I pray, oh God, that you would, that you'd make us wise. We're asking for it. You, you said if we want wisdom, we should ask. And so I'm asking. For all of us. Help us to be discerning. Help us to seek understanding. Maybe look for counsel and trusted others. And then let us live a life that reflects the wisdom of God, that we've heard the words of Jesus and put them into practice. Help us to be thoughtful and not just emotional. Amen.